love everybody. Oh boy, aren't you happy? Yes. Okay, what a Shabbos, huh? What are the three things you're most grateful for the Shabbos? Cholent, kishka, and dessert. No, not those. The coffee tea station must have been a big hit because we're out of water there. Right? You know how many cups? You know how many cups that is? Rabbi, I think we earned it. You earned it. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. A little pain is okay. It's not bad. Okay. All right. We continue in. Really, I've been always mistranslating it because I thought it worked light better. Because you see over here, it's Orot HaMilchama. Can you see that little? No, you can't see that. Anyway, it's, the title is Orot HaMilchama, which I translate as the lights of war, but really it's not. It's the lights of the war. HaMilchama, because when Rav Cook wrote it, it was only one war. The war. The big one. World War I. So I'm not really giving an authentic translation, but it sounds better, the lights of war. So if I write the war, the moment's going to say, what are you talking about? It doesn't sound good in English. But anyway, so we're going with Rav Shirky's uh, commentary. So we're going to, to save the time we just uh, translated. You know, it takes me about four hours to prepare this class. It's not so much preparing, it's to translate it from his Hebrew and to get it into a sensible English that you can understand. So uh, he has three pages of introduction uh, to the words. Again, Rav Cook's words are so cryptic, you'll never understand what he means without them being massaged. So, as mentioned, these are chapters that Rav Cook wrote during the First World War. In this chapter, the rabbi explains that the nation of Israel is a nation that has something to say to the world, except that during the exile, our mouths were shut. The people of Israel never had a real say during the years of exile, because there's one of these sayings, that the wisdom of the poor is false and his words are not heard. In other words, nobody thinks a poor man has anything smart to say, because if he was smart, he'd be rich. <laughs> Nobody would think the Jews have anything smart to say. If we were smart, we wouldn't be in exile. And for that reason, Jews could express their opinion within the various ghettos as much as they wanted, and it was nobody's business. Nobody was interested what the Jews had to say. Among other things, the rabbi, meaning Rav Kook, talks in this chapter about the collapse of the moral world of Christianity during the First World War. There was a Gentile named Jean-Jacques Rousseau, mm -hmm. one of the fathers of the French Revolution, who wrote that among the people of the Sorbonne, which was a French university that was religious at the time, meaning Christian, right? It was clear beyond doubt, any doubt, that the prophecies of Isaiah spoke of Jesus. Right? Hmm. But among the rabbis of Amsterdam, which was a spiritual Jewish center at the time, was equally clear of certainty that has nothing to do with these prophecies. This Agoy notices this. And he adds and writes, they will never be able to understand the Jews as long as they do not have a state, meaning a country, yeah. with houses of Torah study and universities where they can express their opinions without any fear. Wow. This is a Goy understands this. 
These words of Rousseau express what the rabbi says in our chapter, in this chapter. The mouth of the people of Israel was closed during the exile. In other words, the Jews for 1900 years have been trained to shut your mouth and don't express your opinions because if you do, either you're going to get killed or whatever, even worse. So we just knew that we didn't have anything to do with the world. Now this intuition is also found in Rabbi Huda Halevi in the Kuzari, which was written a long time ago. Who the Kuzari? Remember the Kuzari is the the what do you call it? The devil's advocate over there, the non-Jews asking the rabbi, right? Who is looking for the true religion to first turn to the Christians and the Muslims before turning to the Jews. So in the Kuzari. This king excused himself for not addressing the Jews first. He first went to the Christians, then he went to the Muslims. Now, this is, remember, this is probably not a true story. It's the Rabbi Levi using this as a, a format. A, a yeah. format. Yeah. As for the Jews, it is enough for me that they are despised and vile and hated for everything. That is, although there is such a thing as a Jewish religion, but it's not worth examining. Because if it were indeed the true religion, God would not have allowed it to deteriorate to such a low point, and everybody hates it. Hmm. Okay? In other words, that's the biggest proof that the Jews are worthless, because their God has abandoned them. Okay? But, but truth will come out one day. The issue of Israeli national honor also appears in Yechezkel, that says... It is not for your sake that I make the children of Israel, but the sake of my great name. In other words, the Jewish people are here to make Hashem's name great. Okay, so this is one thing that the Jews, again, you have to put everything in context. Jews were not used to giving opinions. It wasn't wanted, and therefore, how are we going to get onto any world stage? Forget it. Nobody speaks in the world stage like this. Now, of course, the the reform movement wanted to be part of that. And if you want to get a good uh, version of that, that was uh, Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz always felt, that his book especially on chutzpah, that he felt that Jews should be out there. Unfortunately, not for Torah reasons. So that was, uh, so the people who wanted to express Judaism on the big uh, open forum weren't didn't really want to teach the world anything about Judaism So that was a problem, but that's problem number one. another thing in the eyes of every normal thinker of Western Europe until the beginning of the 20th century it was clear that the term Judeo-Christian culture meant Christian culture hmm. That is the reference to Judaism was only as a draft for Christianity first draft a draft that for some reason remained in existence. To which I always say the Judeo-Christian ethic is, is, is diluting Judaism. Because if you're telling me that Judaism has anything to do with Christianity, you are diluting Christianity, Judaism. 
But the world <laughs> thought the opposite of me. It's really Christian. Judeo, yeah, that was the first start. It wasn't, you know, first try. It was the starter home of religion. And then we had to get to a much better and bigger religion. And that is Christianity. You can't have Christianity without Judaism. Though. And only since the Six-Day War did European thought begin to understand that there is a unique content to Judaism. That is that the Jews have something to say. And the question is, what happened in the Six-Day War that caused this? So the answer, he says, is the first time the Jews have experienced a miracle of biblical proportion. Right? Since biblical times. Since biblical times. Now, again, for those of you who are a little young uh, and don't remember... uh, yeah, you're a little young. Don't remember. Steve is relatively young. Adam's okay. young. But uh, if you remember a six-day war, the Jews were done. No more Jews. It was clear as day. I was a little. T- I was only ten years old. It didn't. The uh, significance of it didn't uh, dawn on me at the time. But just to refresh your memory, every Arab country signed a pact. They had all the power. Everybody. The, the UN, what UN? United, nobody, nobody. Lyndon Johnson, you Shemov, he didn't care. It, it, nothing. And they left us to get finished off. Okay? And, and, and then all these miracles that happened, it was like incredible. And in six days? Six days? When was the last time there was a war for six days in the Middle East? So they saw there's something going on over here. Okay, so then, you know, wait a minute, maybe this is God's people. Like this was an amazing event. This occurrence now raised two questions for the non-Jewish world, specifically the Christians. Maybe the Bible tells the truth about history. Maybe the way the Jews read the Bible is the right way to read it. To this very day, these questions have not been resolved by them, and that causes all kinds of political questions. The question arises, why is the Six-Day War a biblical occurrence in our day? The answer is because the people of Israel returning to Jerusalem is something that was promised to us by the prophets thousands of years ago. Remember, it was almost, it was 1,900 years, and they're saying, where are your prophecies? This biblical occurrence caused a storm in Israeli society as well because precisely the secular IDF was the one who carried out the biblical event. And these were the ones that did not believe in the Bible. Do you understand what that meant? You did not believe in Torah. And now they're seeing that they are the shlichim to make the Torah's prophecy come true. And as a result, the whole deep division that existed in the religious and the secular began to dissolve and took the form of a faith block, the settlements and all. When did the settlements start popping up? Gush Munim and all this stops popping up, especially in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. This was a major thing. There was no such thing as, uh, you know, the, the settlements up north. There's nothing there. How could you put it? We didn't have it. We didn't have it. In other words, large-scale processes shocked the Israeli mentality. And that you had at a certain time of a lot of Baal at that time. 
The writer Amos Oz once described this shock. We were guys who graduated from the army and were full of pioneering pride. And the similar of our effort was the military teddy bear, means the, the symbol of Zionism, right? For us, the religious are strange people who live in their own neighborhoods, wear black clothes, and do not serve in the army. Then the Gush Emunim movement arose, which is the religious pioneers, okay, who Ira Rappaport was one of them. If you know Ira, you know what I'm talking about. And all these, uh, what do you want to go, uh, you know, Haredim who uh, don't wear black hats, to put it mildly, but they firmly believe in Eretz Yisrael and Torah and everything. And I saw the religious people climbing the hills of Samaria with my teddy bear, meaning that insignia, and I felt the country had been stolen from me. Hmm. And as Amos Zaz understood that there is a change, that all the political processes that are taking place nowadays are processes that have substantial consequences regarding cultural thinking. The religious explained that there is such a thing as Zionism within the base medrash, something that was not obvious in the past. In other words, you had the old Yishev in Yerushalayim, you had Rav Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld, you had the real uh, tzaddikim of Yerushalayim, and they just sat and learned Torah, which has a great value, but one that a secular mind cannot appreciate. Secular mind can only appreciate secular things. Okay, so if you see a Haredi person is now being a chalutznik, okay, and they're willing to fight for it, and they're going into the army. Wait a minute. What's going on? I thought army, secular. That's the state. Now, these, now you see what you, you have to remember. You, be careful what you complain about because you may get what you wish for. <laughs> they're complaining. How come we don't draft the religious people? If they really would understand what that means, that's not good for them. Because the religious people are in the army, that means they're going to run the government one day. Hmm. And they don't want them to run the government. It's only almost as stupid as the LBGTQ are saying pro-Palestinian. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> you, you, you understand what's happening. They say, why don't they fight in the army? You idiots. If they're going to fight in the army, they're going to make a law. You have to keep Shabbos. They should have been happy to leave it, let it be as it is. But it's Hashem's putting in their mouth. In the end, Judaism's claim is a political claim. God intervenes in the world through history, and therefore if history goes in a certain direction, it has spiritual consequences. The Abarbanel explains, for example, you took a look at the Merkava of Yechezkel, that whole Kabbalistic uh, vision that he had, it's missing certain parts compared to Yeshaya's description of it. It's missing something. He describes it as, because obviously this is after the base of Migdash is destroyed, the removal of the Shekhinah from Yerushalayim. For him, the very destruction, this is, again, we look at the destruction, there's two ways of looking. We look at the way a human looks at it, and how would you explain, how does a Goy explain the destruction of Yerushalayim? In what? Political terms. The Jews got Rome involved in what's going on, Rome got involved, and it was a political issue to destroy the base of Middash. As far as Rome is concerned, it's not really a religious issue. It's a political issue. So that's what, so that same thing was the first base of Middash as well with Nebuchadnezzar. So the very destruction, of, so the spiritual world is affected by politics from the physical 
perspective. Obviously, Hashem, it's really a, a vicious circle. The spiritual world affects the political world. And then the political world affects the external spiritual world. You follow? When the Jews destroy the Beis Hamikdash above through our sins, then the enemies below are able to destroy the Beis Hamikdash below, but the Beis Hamikdash below was hollow with nothing because there's no Beis Hamikdash above. So it's a matter of course, if the spiritual world is now affected by its politics, it's a matter of course that the culture in our world is affected by it, because when you don't have the Shechina, you don't think, but take God out of the picture, look what's happened for 1900 years. Perhaps it's possible to see some of the actions of the world today as a sort of attempt to silence the mouth of the people of Israel after it's already opened. This is Rav Shurki, he's living now, right? And now the Gentiles try to silence us, but also some of the Jews. The question arises, indeed, the Gentiles are trying to silence us, but why are the Jews also trying? Answer, every beginning psychologist knows that the thing that a person runs away from the most in the world is responsibility. So this idea of running away from the responsibility of being with the people of Israel appeals to many leaders today in the people of Israel. But God does not let us forget who we are. Obviously, when Hezbollah attacks us, we become unified, okay? Most Israelis today have no idea why, for example, Nasrallah and his organization hate us. The seculars, they don't understand this. Because today, Israeli society is not structured to absorb the true meaning of their hatred of us. The classic answer to Esther Haredi before October 7th, they're crazy. But there can't be a billion Muslims and they're all crazy. So there's probably a deeper reason. They hate us because we undermine them. Because if the state of Israel is truly the state of the Jewish people, this undermines the entire legitimacy of the Muslim position and the Christian one, by the way, is also true of the secular Muslims who in some way also related to Islam, and therefore they also hate us. Yeah. So you understand why this is all fitting into place. Now, now, now you really think about this. So they tried, the, the Arabs tried to destroy us, first of all, before the state came into being. We don't have to be reminded of the 1929 riots in Hebron and the riots in Tzvaz and all that and, 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 put, and the wars that happened. But when they realized they couldn't beat us in war, so now they're coming up with this... PLO business and all this other stuff. They cannot stomach the fact that Jews are living in the land. And the Christians only aren't making us trouble because they got beat up in World War I and II. And they found that their religion is really useless, so they kind of kept quiet. So they come up with new ideas that, you know, if we help the Jews, then Yedjashka will come and this and that. That's the only reason the Christians are helping us because they somehow think that Yashka will come out from all this. The question arises, why were the Gentiles convinced even then, during the First World War, even before the Holocaust, to give us a state, such as what the Balfour Declaration says? How was the year 1917 different compared to the other exiles who listened to our requests precisely then? In other words, no one would have thought at all in 1817 to say Jewish state. What happened in 1917? 
The answer is several reasons. One is influence of influential Jews in London. That had to do with that a little bit. Also, at that time, there was a great biblical spirit that gave the feeling that a new world should be built because they saw, as we've explained many times, how Christianity failed by producing a world war. The nation of love, the religion of love, produced the biggest massacre of people alive that was ever on the planet. So to realize that something isn't making sense, okay? So the center of which should be fate of the biblical prophet. At least that's what Lloyd George, who was a British foreign minister from those days and was partner in publishing the Balfour Declaration. By the way, it was not the Pope who helped Herzl to establish the state of the land of Israel, but rather Christians from England, like William Gladstone and others. So this is like good background to chapter 9, where really Rav Cook is going to say, it's time that the Jews spoke up. The world, that's 1919, he's writing this. These were Anglicans, not Catholics, for sure. <laughs> Whatever. But anyway, it's time to speak up. The world is ready for the message. Now we get to Rav Cook's actual words. Binyan ha'olam, the building of the world. Hamismotetes ka'es l'ragle hasaros hanoraos shalcher of meleadam, which is now collapsing at the feet of the terrible storms of a world full of blood. The structure of the world is coming apart. Doreshu, as Binyan is 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 requiring, is seeking the building of a Jewish people. Rav Cook sees World War One is like. The world, without saying it, is screaming out that there should be a voice of sanity in the world. Rov HaGolos, uh, this Rav Shurkina, the most of our Golos for the last 1900 years, the world got along exclu exclusively with Israel, meaning without Israel. But in the First World War, the world reached such a strong crisis point to become necessary for them to establish an Israeli state where the Jews could express themselves. If Christianity failed, so what can succeed? Okay, there's a void. When there's a void, something has to fill the void. Rav Shirky continues. The question arises, how is this war different from the other wars of the past thousands of years? That is, why does this specific war cause the world to feel the establishment of the Jewish state? Answer, because the First World War was evidence at a global scale of the collapse of the morality of the Christian world. From 1870 to 1914, 44 years passed in which there was no war in Europe itself, but only in surrounding areas where the British went to other countries. This was a huge innovation, and the Europeans came to the conclusion it was time for eternal peace until the First World War came and destroyed this hope. So the question arises, if the Gentiles within them so wanted the establishment of a Jewish state, why today, when it has already been established, do they work against it on all kinds of occasions? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Look at the answer. Because we disappointed them. Huh. At first, we made a great impression on them. We returned to our land just like the words of the prophet, or also their prophets in a certain sense. They're seeing the biblical prophecies are coming true. Yeah. But when we arrived in the promised land, we had no statement towards them as they expected it to be. What did we ex, ex, uh, uh, extol to them? What did we preach to them? That we, to we didn't preach anything. We said we want to be like you. Yeah. 
Teddy Kollek says Jerusalem is going to be just like New York. That's not what they we need. We need the same thing, but there is still a certain expectation amongst the nation of the world that the people of Israel will tell them what to do. And this expectation is expressed in two ways, the visible and the hidden. The hidden meaning, as soon as a person harasses someone so much, it means that he is important to him. Hmm. That's hidden. And the harassment of the nation of the world towards us is completely illogical. And this is a sign that they expect something from us. The revealed meaning is there are Gentiles all over the world who are interested in us. There are some Goyim who, like the Christians, they're lovers of Israel. They want to help. So they, they are responding to this certain disappointment that exists. So the Christians are saying, that's good. They'll just build you up, be friends with you, and you see even you guys will fail, and Yashka will come and save the day. Okay, while the others are just saying, we're just, what, what did we support? So you could say, well, they really felt sorry for us. Okay, they felt sorry for us, but what did you do by saving the Jews? What did the Jews bring to the world that was so uniquely Jewish with such a real special message that they, that they had to bring, which really we didn't bring one. So there's a lot of disappointment. Okay, Rev Cook continues. Yes, I'm sorry. I, your hand is behind Mark's head, so I couldn't see it. Okay. Um, now, didn't Europe just want to get rid of the Jews, give them their own land? They won't interrupt anything that's Christianity. So Christianity can flourish. The Jews are out of sight, out of mind, and let them fight the Muslims in the Middle East. So there'll be no CNN, nobody will know. Let them go at it, and Christianity will. Could be. Them. That was maybe another answer. This world will wipe them. But it's still. But this answer that the rabbi is giving but, here. But could be. Could be, because you, you do get rid of the Jewish problem. But on the other hand, Jews were very valuable in Europe. They're very valuable. It could be, maybe Britain even saw that as maybe Israel being a British colony. Yeah. Why not? It was 1917. This is they were still. They were still colonial. They were still trying to keep colonies. It's good to have some people over there. And they weren't so Christian, Christian, right, Catholic. So, you know, why not? Maybe they'll have something to offer us. You could speculate. There's more than one answer, obviously. But I think this answer is almost subconscious. They wanted Israel to tell them what to do. But maybe if you asked them that, they wouldn't say that. Yeah. But inherently, they wanted that because that's Cause, what they... Because Christianity are, failed. Yeah. Remember, the yeah. world was getting more modern. We're supposed to be a light to the nations. They may not want yeah, to admit yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Okay, continues Rev. Cook. We'll just do the English. The building of the nation and the manifestation of its spirit is one and the same. Meaning, for the people of Israel, politics and the spirit are something that cannot be separated. That we know for sure, because the Rambam, which is a book of law, as law says, Hilchas Melachim, the law of kings. So politics is is structured by halacha. That's all there is to it. There's no for, for the Jewish people, the real holy nation, politics and religion is one and the same. No separation of church and state at all. Because there's no church. Ah, no separation of God and church. Uh, God and state. God and state. Continues of cook. Whoopa. And all of it is united with the building of the world, which is crumbling. In other words, when you build up Eretz Yisrael, the point is to build up the world. And awaiting a power, such as us, full of unity and loftiness. 
And all this is found in the soul of the congregation of Israel. Knesset Israel. The Spirit of God is full of it. Meaning the Spirit of God is full of Knesset Israel. What does Knesset Israel mean? So I'm sure he's saying a potentially powerful spiritual force inherent in the people of Israel. That's what we have. Says Rev Cook. The Spirit of God is full within it. Meaning Knesset Israel. It's impossible for the spirit of man whose soul is pulsating in him to be silent in this great hour without calling to all the hidden forces in the nation. Be strong and stand up for your duty. Says Rav Shirky, he whose soul is pulsating in him feels that he must do something in such a great hour as the time of war. Indeed, Rav Cook himself worked to achieve the Balfour direction, the, the declaration because he was in Europe at the time which is one of the positive results of World War I. Continues Rev. Cook. The voice of God calls out with power and from within our souls and the movements of life, we discern it. Israel must reveal the source of its life, stand upright on the feet of its spiritual character. Quoting a Pasuk, who is a great nation that has God close to them? Or another Pasuk, a nation that knows the nature of God. The world is toppling. The human spirit is weakening. Darkness is covering all nations. As the Pusik says, darkness will cover the earth and fog the nations. And the hour has come, the light of the world, the light of the true God, the light of the God of Israel, which is revealed through his people with miracles. He needs revealed in recognition. And the recognition needs to come in the nation first. The Jews have to recognize. This recognition of correction needs to come first of all the people of Israel. If we don't recognize, how's the world going to? Continues Rav Cook. To recognize the unity of its own powers is to know God who dwells in it. Rav Shirky explains, once the Jews are united in one place, it will become clear that the God of Israel is not the God of the religious only, but the God of all Israel. So that's what we talked about at Shalashudas at length. For those who were there. So that's where unity is so important. It can't be that Israel has a God just for the Haredim and it's not a God for the secular people. And the proof of this, a secular Jew abroad, after a short time, two or three generations, will assimilate. On the other hand, a secular Jew in Israel can remain both Jewish and secular for a long time. Okay, as I've said, because there's not much of a choice because the Arabs want to kill you, but still they have some feeling for Yiddishkeit. Then we become clear that the picture of the divinity created in the mind is a picture of unity, and this picture of unity works onward. That is by recognizing that we are one people with a just path, we recognize that God is responsible for us. Okay, now he's taking a bit of a leaping uh, cor- correlation here, which I would not necessarily agree with. But for example, as Herschel did, he united the forces of Jewish people into one unified Congress, which is not really true, and from that demanded a state. That is, in order to know what the Jews need, you need to know who the Jews are. Okay, from a secular perspective, he thought that was correct, but on the other hand, there were no rel- real religious people in that Congress, so he didn't totally have that. But in theory, that idea is true. They all have to be united in what their cause is. 
By the way, today our role as the people is different. Today our goal is not to accept the land in a technical way, but rather to restore our culture. He means Yiddishkeit, not Frumkeit, which is found in scattered parts amongst the different types of Jews. Each of us received a piece of our culture before the exile, and now the land is putting these pieces together. What he means, like Svartim, Ashkenazim, all these types of uh, German Jews, uh, uh, Polish Jews, this and that, that's what he really means over there, to put all those pieces together. Continues Rev Cook. And knowing that there is a God, now this is all it's a long-running sentence. We have to recognize all this about ourselves, right? And knowing that there is a God near us, she is the, the country. She will know how to reveal the fountain of her life. She will know how to establish the vision and its stature upon her own unique source. And from that, the prophecy will return. As the Pusik says, she's called not to draw from foreign wells, but to draw from her own depths. depths. And this is where of Cook is criticizing secular Zionism and is saying we have to come back to our source. She draws desire from the depths of her prayer, life from the well of her Torah, courage from the root of her faith, organization from the lucidity of her intellect, courage from her spirit, and all that rises upon the celestial vaults. Everything is from the spirit of God that hovers over the whole universe from the days of Genesis to the end. In other words, he's saying the Jewish people will really, will realize their spiritual connection to Hashem, which will embolden us with that feeling of Hashem being with us. And that's exactly what you see in the religious, the Haredi soldiers. That is exactly what you are seeing now. And that's exactly what Rav Cook's vision was. And if you have all the soldiers be like that, okay? Now, and, it's, and, and he's saying we're not missing the foundations for this to happen. So Cook says, quoting Sukkim again, For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, the word of the Lord that I have established with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit abides within you. Do not be afraid. All the country, cultures in the world will be renewed by our new spirit. The world's cultures will be changed from the Jews. This is Pashup Shat and Mashiach, guys. <laughs> All opinions will be straightened. All lives will be illuminated with the joy of a new birth from our rejuvenated stature. All faiths will wear new clothes. Remove the clothes that excrete over them and dress in my precious clothes. It's all metaphor. In the future, what he means, all ideologies and religions will not disappear from the world, but will be changed and corrected by us. It follows that Christianity, for example, will remain forever, but there will be a reform that will convert it so that it is adapted to the spirit of Israel. Meaning to say, a few minor details. Just get rid of Yashka. Uh, that's not minor. But, uh, okay, but it's a detail. Get rid of Yashka. Get rid of the Trinity. You know, and basically, the other things, you want to turn the cheek, that's fine. That's not a bad thing. But, but it's just... And make it's, it Noahide. That's right. Make, make it Noahide. But you don't have to be Jewish. Yeah. Right? There are a lot of kernels of truth in Christianity. That's what, the only good parts of Christianity are the good parts they took from Yiddishkeit. Right. Giving charity. It's a good thing. Right? Help, you know, love, love your neighbor like yourself. They, they believe in all these things. They'll make certain corrections. Like get rid of gay marriage and all these other things. But they, they'll get corrected. And here's a beautiful pshat. So how does he learn the pshat? So we think the, the pashat and true pshat is we have a Sanhedrin is in the base Hamikdash. And the Sanhedrin decides all the Jewish law and all of Torah spreads out from there. True. 
But Rav Kook takes a different take, which is in addition to that, the Torah will go forth from the land of Israel to the rest of the world. And thus the nation of Israel will become, in its renewed state, a kind of center of projection for all of humanity. The Torah for the world will come from Yerushalayim. The world will know that there's a godly Torah. They don't have to be Jews, but there's a Torah. way of life will come from Yerushalayim. Question arises, for this, do we need to preserve all religions and ideologies? Isn't it better to eradicate them? <laughs> well, Hashem didn't plan on them getting killed necessarily. Answer, it might be, have been better to eradicate them if they were completely false. But there's a kernel of truth in each of them. That is, the different religions and ideologies are not accidental because they are an expression of the spirituality of the different human publics. In other words, you're taking a little bit of Yiddishkeit and blending it with a goy. So what do you get? And because every human society has a way of reacting to the spiritual world that's unique to it, not necessarily evil, in the future we'll have to take care of each special religious sensibility separately to convert it so that it is adapted to the spirit of Israel. Okay? So... It follows from this that all idolatry, whatever it is, worships God in some way, but it's adulterated. For example, Christianity. Christian theology thinks that it says that God was kind to man and became man in order to absorb man's suffering. Now, we hold the same thing, that Hashem suffers with us, but he doesn't have to become a man to suffer with us. Hashem says, Anochi, I'm with them in their pain. But he doesn't have to be a person. See, this is the problem that, what do you mean? If God is not a person, how could he have pain? So therefore, he has to be a person. You see, God became, Yoshka was God's child, to be his person who will suffer to feel God's suffering. So you're pretty good. Just keep it with God. You don't have to put it into any person. <laughs> it's a little change, right? Uh, where am I up to now? But when they are precise in their words, they reach these conclusions. God made himself a Jew, and killing the Jew atones for the suffering of the world. Therefore, the Holocaust and other disturbances are hidden in their collective subconscious. The Jew is God, and therefore in Christianity, there's an expression of the feeling that the peoples had in ancient times. There was an immense divine power in the soul of Israel. And this came expressed in the mythological form of a holy Jewish child. Even Hitler knew this. There's too much godliness in these Jews. And once the Christians realize that they actually value and adore the Jewish people, then Christianity will become kosher. This matter of the conversion of Christianity has already begun to be expressed by a little bit by the former Christian writer Wessel. I don't know who that is. Fine. So you're beginning to see that this is happening. And you, you see the Catholic Church is falling apart. It's, but, unfortunately, it's falling in the wrong direction. But it can get back into the right direction. Another thing, each and every nation has its own way of feeling the spiritual world and the proof. How can it be that there are entire countries that are Catholic, entire countries that are Protestant? Logic says the percentages will be divided equally between all the countries, so each country will have an equal percentage of Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, etc. This we can deduce a spiritual fact, very interesting that in an, as is an intervention of sociology, climate, geography, and human faith. Look at this. For example, Islam spread mainly 
in a certain area of the earth, the arid diagonal, that just means the deserts. Wasn't that interesting? Muslim religion spread in the desert. Therefore, the people of Israel must take this data into account when they come to enlighten the eyes of the nations. Now, he's asked a side point. What is the relationship between Islam and the arid desert? The answer, the desert causes a person to submit completely to forces greater than himself. Isn't that it? That's why the Torah was given in the desert. <laughs> Torah is given in the desert because you have to be mavatl yourself to Hashem. So they just take it just a little off over there. Just, and that's their approach to Islam, submission. The question arises, are there millions of Muslims outside the Arab world, uh, the arid desert? Answer true, but there are the Muslims are lights. It's Muslim light. The fanatics among the Muslims are more in the arid areas. Interesting, interesting idea. Again, the Muslims aren't so far away from Yiddishkeit. They even believe in the true God. So you just got to make some slight adjustments. You know, they really are potential Svartim. That's, that's what they are, potential Svartim, who are not Jews. Okay, so Rav Cook continues. When this will all happen, when this will all happen, then the non-Jews, they will cast off every filth, every impurity, and every abomination that is in their midst and unite as a link with the remnants of the holy lights, which have since been prepared for every Gentile and every person in the wellsprings of Israel. Meaning all the changes discussed in humanity depend on the will of the people of Israel. But in the meantime, the people of Israel are disappointing the world. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons for the world's hatred of the state of Israel today. Now, really, if the Jews would really say what should be said, things would change. This is like mamish. It's like I said, it's, we're so close. We just would have to say certain things and not be afraid what others are saying. Right? So, you know, in certain ways, you know, Bennett was very correct when he admitted, although he wasn't supposed to do that, but he admitted that they were behind many attacks in Iran when he was the prime minister. He said, what are you fooling around with the proxies? Go to the source. And that's true. And if we would go to the source, it would be all over. A few good atom bombs in Tehran, you'd have world peace. Ah, so millions of uh, them will die. <laughs> what's, what's the option? You don't have an option. You're the ones funding all these machines. Yeah? No, I'm not talking about that. That would be one example of it. No, to be moral people, <laughs> spiritual people. But part of that requires to destroy evil. Rabbi, I thought wiped out the world world of water. Like I think this is what I'm trying to figure out with the story that's not coming together. Is what you were saying? Like it is true that we have to have a religious political reality. But what I'm finding very funny in history is that the politics is coming first. Like, if the, the that's why he says himself, you need the unity. Hashem gave an opportunity, and it ended up that the state was founded by secular people, whose whose directive and whose vision was very far from being religious. Right. The whole point was let's not be religious. Let's I understand. Be a state like every other state. So Good. you're saying that's how they started the story, and then the rest of the world. And was, feeling disappointed like in other words the world didn't need another editor, yes and another scientist and another that's what Rev Cook is agreeing with you yeah. but my question to you 
support for the Holocaust. Most people who came out of the Holocaust were not Balei Tshuva and did not come out saying, Woohoo, we love Hashem. The right. opposite. Right. What I'm trying to bring across is where in the world was this movement of, you know, we're going to bring the, the light of God. This is Rav Cook. I'm asking you, so, how could you even expect it? That's what I'm trying to You want to know it. how? Yeah. Unless the Jew Gail, you're seeing it happening now. Yeah, how? Like, what's here? Okay, if you wouldn't have had the secular, we would not have a state. Yeah. Why? Because the religious <coughs> people would have refused to... They're not interested. They're not interested. They weren't interested in fighting. They weren't interested in this stuff. They said, let's just stay and learn Torah. We're still in the Golas. We're not even close. Let Hashem bring Mashiach. Yeah. And so Rav Cook was saying, you know, can't leave it up to Hashem only. You have to do something. You have to want to be back in Eretz Yisrael. And you can't, it's nice, you want to learn Torah Yisrael, and he's 100% for it. But if you don't have a country that's a Jewish country, you have no voice. Right? And if you don't have a voice, what does it help? Because remember, it's Tikkun Olam, not Tikkun Jews. The Tikkun Olam has to come from the Jews. Now, the secular are not interested in this, but you need someone to build a country. Now, what's got, now, see, you have to leave it up to Hashem. Hashem works in mysterious ways. How is Hashem going to make secular people become firm? He's doing it now. That's what I said. No, he did it in 67. You're saying he did it in it, It's slowly happening. You, you got, God's got time. You have to remember, the army pre-67 was exclusively secular exclusively secular okay and as i said today in shul i said now unfortunately but you know silver lining right 45 percent of the soldiers who've been killed in this battle are haredim okay that's a fact it's a fact 45 percent. that's a tragedy but it's also a blessing because now the left has lost their trump card their whole trump card is you don't share the burden. You can't deny, even, I, I don't know, I don't look at leftist Hebrew papers, but I, I can't imagine, in Mariv, I'm sure they're putting the pictures of everybody who dies. Even in Mariv. And you're seeing guys with long payas pictures are up there. Now you can only lie so much about what Haredim are. And the pictures don't lie. Every other person who's dead had a kippah on or side locks. What is the leftist going to say now? Now, if you want to listen to something from a different, you know, uh, Gushemunu perspective, you listen to this Carolyn Glick. Um, her last uh, installment was the left is beginning to see the mistake in everything they did, which is interesting. No, the whole thing of the two-state solution and all this, they're beginning to see their whole... Razan de Etra, you know, it just went out this one, took it out the window. There's no such thing to make peace with them. But you understand what's happening. 45% who died, that the whole thing is Haredim don't care about us. Well, that's your, and your main argument has all been about this. You took, half of them have died are Haredim, and they're less than half of the army. So forget that. Don't you think of even a leftist maybe has a little brain in their head? And and there's and, and you start and they're gonna and they're hearing these stories. The people who kept Chavez didn't get killed. 
you know, it, it's, it takes time. It's not going to flip in one week. But, but you, when did you have so many religious people in the Knesset? Right? And it got to the point where they were going to mamish get rid of that Supreme Court. Yeah. And that would make major differences. You have no idea what changes. And it's yet to be seen, unfortunately, what's going to happen with that. But when the Supreme Court gets out, eventually it will have to, then they'll be able to do a lot of things. So it t- takes time. It could take another generation or two. So who says it can't take a generation or two? So, so Rabbi, the, the reason the state of is the, the secular, the state of Israel is being, uh, I guess, uh, hostile to Jewish people is because they believe that it was their blood that made the land. So it goes with logically saying that what needs to happen is a Haredi group army has to have a victory. That's the only thing that can happen because if a Haredi army has a victory, so then, be, then it could be Haredi and secular. It has to be the House of Cards. Yes, so it's all happening. This is all happening. It's getting more and more. So that, that has to happen. That's the it's, only thing that can okay, happen. Okay, so Our it's... But you also have to be able to keep the Haredi more learning Torah. Can't lose that group. It's, it is happening. So you just have to be patient. But th- things that are happening today, you never saw 50 years ago. Never. And you, and you will soon have from generals. That's just moving up. You're going to have from generals. What are you going to do with this from? And, you, and even in the army itself, it's much more kosher than it was before. Right? Would you imagine 50 years ago we needed 300,000 tzitzis? I mean, that, that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. So you got to be patient. So why should secular people not be entitled to become from one day? So we got to have patience. Hashem does wondrous things. So now... So now he's saying that it's all ready and that the birchas Avram lechol goyeretz, the blessings of Avram should be for all the nations of the world. There are two places where Avram's blessings to the whole world are mentioned. Parshas lech lecha, and all the families of the world shall be blessed in you. After Akedas Yitzchak, and in your seed shall all the nations of the land be blessed. These two ways of blessing the world. First of all, we will be blessed, which means they will join us. And only from this, they will be blessed, means they will receive a blessing. We will be blessed also, the second time, bracha from the word brecha, which is grafting. Laharkiv, it, it's grafting. He says, nivrechu miloshen havracha. Havracha. Havracha is grafting. So you understand what he's saying? The, uh, so you will you attach. Hence, our uh, father Avram is likened to the ground and the nations to the vines. After all, the nations connect to Avram, our father. A new vine comes out of the ground, and that'll be the blessing that the non-Jews will be when they become grafted on to Qual Yisrael. And when this bracha happens, then shall begin its operation with power and openly, according to its foundation, it will begin anew in our building in the land of Israel. The current desolation is the preparation, desolation of the world, is the preparation for the new revival deep and uniquely categorized. The First World War is a preparation for the salvation question. Because the salvation is deep, it takes a long time. To this day, the revolution of the salvation takes place in the European consciousness towards a change in its character. Rav Cook continues, the light of supreme kindness is shining. Okay, the name of Hashem 
will be of Ekia Asher Ekia, what Hashem told Moshe in this week's parasha coming up. I will be what I will be, reveals more and more, ascribe grandeur to our God. Now the sentence seems very strange. Moshe asks Hashem, what's his name? How do you lead the world? Hashem says, I will be what I will be. What does that mean? It doesn't matter. Or, because I, God, am not defined by names. But it's difficult. There are many names for God in the Bible, including the verse in the verse that says, I will be what I be. Answer, I will be what I will be. That is, according to the situation, I receive a name one way or another. As the mentor says, Almighty said to Moshe, Moshe, you want to know my name? According to my deeds, I will be called. And he gives examples. The question arises, does the concept of divinity change according to Judaism? Is according to Judaism, does the concept of divinity change over the course of history? The answer is yes. God has become God acts in different ways. God is going more and more revealed. God's first name in the Bible is Elohim. That is the one who creates nature, the source of existence. Later, God is revealed to man as Hashem Elohim. That's in the first two chapters of Gracious. Later, when the first person in history is receives God's lordship is called Adonai. Later, when Hashem makes promises to the Avos, he's called Shekel Shakai. Later, when God comes to fulfill the promises, which is next week's Parsha, after Shmos, he's called yud Vave. When God reveals himself through the state, meaning to say, from the times of Shmuel, when we already became a power, as Tzvakot, the armies. Later, when God perpetuates his covenant when Israel is not entitled to it, it's called the HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the, 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 the holy God of Israel. Later, when the Shekhinah departs from the world, the Almighty is seen only in the heavens. It's called uh, the, in the sky. Yerushalayim. All we're stuck now is with Yerushalayim. We don't have Yudai Vavhe, we don't have Kel You could best be a Yerushalayim. Later, when the people of Israel go to exile, God is called blessed as the Holy One. In other words, the concept becomes a philosophical concept in which we express the unity of the Holy One, blessed be He. He is both holy and blessed. Later, when God returns His people to their land, He's called Tzor Yisrael, and they were heading towards a new name, I will be as I will be. There's a higher name that is above the limited definitions that existed until today. Moshe says, well, who should I tell him sent me? It's going to be a name you haven't heard before. And this is the meaning when we say, Havu Godel Lelokeinu. Bring greatness to our God, that there's a possibility for a small God, so to speak, and a big God. What does it mean, God small, in our perception? And also the meaning is not Menachem, it's from Nehemiah, which was said about the great gathering held by the members of the Knesset Yisrael in Yerushalayim. And they will call on the name of the great God means that there's a definition of the little God, which is the small concept of Hashem. What characterizes the small conception of God is that God is only interested in certain things. That's what people perceive, right? But then there's a great conception that God is revealed in everything, and that's called the unity, that he was involved in every single thing. This should be the last page over here. Yes, I hope. Yeah, last page. Therefore, the rabbi's intention in this sentence is that God is becoming more and more revealed in the events of the First World War and in the events that followed it, and those who managed to perceive the world in greatness understand this. And the last hundred years have not, have not contradicted whatever Cook has said at all.
In order to reach that divine greatness is a need for a certain breaking of the beliefs as there were until now, including the belief of Judaism. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons for the existence of secularism. In other words, secularism is an expression of a great faith that is unable to see itself in the accepted religious tools and therefore has no choice but to break them. The question arises, does it follow that according to Rav Cook, one should be secular? No. Cook's conclusion is the great content of those small vessels shall be found. There's good found in this. I just want to be a good person. Okay, good. Where are you going to find it? You've looked for a long time to be good and you haven't found it. The question arises, when you look at the secular today, you see that supposedly many of them are not busy searching for great content. Answer, this is about a total movement and not about private individuals. And besides, you have to understand what causes a certain human character to spread is a certain ideology. Even the person with this particular character is not aware of it. In other words, secularism was not born for nothing. There are secular thinkers who stand behind it. He gives a bunch of them. You have to understand that every idea, there is a person who thinks about it seriously. When you delve into it, you eventually arrive at the knowledge of God. In other words, you're talking about people who, who are coming from good places but are screwed up. And they screw it up in the worst places. If we can get, to get it back to the beginning point of what they want to achieve, even liberals have, so to speak, a spark of holiness deep, deep down, but politicians corrupted it in a great way. The question arises, why do most of so-called seculars not engage in the search for great content? Answer because most of them are busy searching even if they're not aware of it. There's several explanations. We'll mention two. One, they don't want to ask questions because they think there are no answers. Second, they use expressions such as refuah shalema, shabbat shalom, mazel tov. So they are a little bit aware. <laughs> so in other words, secular Jews either think there are no solutions or there's still something that is there but uh, could be there. we can also mention they're afraid to express them, whatever it is. But that's where we're holding, of Cook, one chapter to go. Now is the time. The world is waiting for this message. And as Jews, we should not be afraid to say what our message is. But it'll be much more powerful when it comes from Eretz Yisrael. Because when you're in Eretz Yisrael, you get to speak in the UN. Okay? Now, if you speak in the UN and you say the right things, that's what the world is waiting for. And Mir Shem that they will come soon. Okay, Shkoyak, everybody, for hanging on. What a Shabbos. No, no technology for two hours 